This episode of the Red Bull Rant is brought to you by the fine patrons that support us through patreon.com slash Rant. You can support us for the low, low price of $1 a month, and you can get exclusive content, including a monthly wrap-up for the New York Red Bulls. We want to send a special shout-out to our patrons who support us at $5 a month. That is our producer-level reward. Thank you to Jeremiah Dempster, William Martin, Clayton John, and Christopher Admack. Now, on to the show. This is the Red Bull Ramp Podcast. If you aren't expecting adult language, why even bother listening? Welcome, my friends, to the show of Friends. This is the Red Bull Rant Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ipico. I'm Pat McDonald. I'm Truman, and this is a very special episode. Yes, uh, today we have with us uh, one of the founding uh, players, not only of MLS, but of the Metro Stars, three-time uh, United States World Cup representative in 1990, 1994, and 2002, uh, the original goalkeeper, for the Metro Stars and co-host of Counterattack on Sirius XM Channel 157, Tony Miola. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for coming on. I have a very important question. How is your toilet paper supply going right now? <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to laugh. I had to go to New Jersey. My, my wife, was. we couldn't find any toilet paper, and she's in this group chat with her high school friends, and she said she was in there and said, hey, there's no toilet paper down here in Florida. Um, and, um, one of her friends texted like uh, an hour later and said, there'll be toilet paper there on Thursday. She literally went to a store in New Jersey, boxed it up and shipped it down here. So right now it's really, really good. Thanks to the great state of New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, beloved New Jersey. They never stop giving. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Tony, the the reason we have you on is because we're looking at, um, we want to talk about the history of major league soccer, right? Um, we're obviously in this waiting period for the virus to kind of work its way through so we can get back to actual games, but we wanted to have somebody on to talk about the least beginnings. And since you were literally there from day one, we figured why not? Uh, so, uh, the first question is going to be, you know, you were, were playing professionally before major league soccer started. Uh, you were played for Brighton, Wofford, uh, the Fort Lauderdale strikers, and you were on two World Cup teams before Major League Soccer started. What was it like seeing MLS uh, get created specifically because of the 94 World Cup? But what was it like for you as a player seeing Major League Soccer get created in this country? Yeah, so as you mentioned, we went through a 90 World Cup and the sport was kind of just growing here. And, and um, when we got to the 94 World Cup, kind of leading up to that, uh, most of us went to Europe. Uh, we, a bunch of us played, came back and played with the national team as a professional team. We traveled around, we lived out of Mission Viejo. We played, you know, essentially a full schedule but of national team games. And if you can imagine how hard that was to try and do that now in this day and age, it would almost be impossible with the calendars for all the different teams, um, you know, and, and then there was this, there was this light at the end of the tunnel after the world cup. And that was, that was 1995 was supposed to have the league. The, the part of the funds there was to lead to a, in the U S and as you guys know, 
we got closer to 1995 in the beginning of that year, and they kind of pulled the plug on it and said, this isn't ready to go. We need to do this in 1996. And I was kind of stuck because I had made a decision that I wasn't going to go to Europe. I was going to be one of the founding members uh, and then got lucky that the Long Island Rough Riders were around. And, and um, I played with Alfonso Mondello and, and that group of players that a lot of those guys went on to play in Major League Soccer, especially in the early days. I'm sure the, the one that everyone remembers is Giovanni Savarese. Uh, Jimmy Rooney was also in that group. There were a bunch of other guys that uh, were part of that Metro Stars team, uh, but maybe didn't get a lot of minutes. Mickey Kites was part of that team. I mean, there were, there were guys from that group that played all over the league. So thankfully for that, I was kind of in a little bit of a pickle. And... Um, I, I couldn't wait. I was here to support the league. I wanted to see the league grow, as you guys and, our, and the listeners probably know. Uh, I was a Cosmo fan growing up. Um, my dream was to play Giant Stadium. Didn't happen with the Cosmos, but it happened with the Metro Stars. Which is, I mean, pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, um, you know, being a local guy and getting to play at Giant Stadium is awesome. Um, when you played that first game at Giant Stadium, what what was the feeling at that game, um, and what was the environment like for that first uh, Major League Soccer game in New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, the anticipation for me uh, was probably the same as it was for Tab Ramos um, and, and and maybe even uh, Peter Vermeer at that time. But for some of the other guys, it was probably different. It was anticipation about playing in a league. It was a new league, and yeah, it was Giant Stadium. There was some history there, but they probably didn't feel the same way that we felt about it. And I just couldn't wait. Now <laughs> the first game at home, uh, what didn't end exactly the way that we wanted it to end with, with the own goal. But, um, still, when you talk about remembering moments in your career, remembering, um, certain, certain walks down a tunnel, uh, from the time you park your car at the stadium and you get greeted by the guards for the first time. And then you go down the tunnel and it's all, greeting those people that you've been with for like two months that have been in the office and you don't really know their role and you don't know really all, you know, what, what to expect. And just that, that anticipation that to get out there and play, I don't, I don't know. You guys probably know better than I, but I think there were over 40,000 people at the first game and soccer was, was at that moment here for the first time in, in a long, long time at the professional level. Um, and, and it was for me, it's, it's just a special night. Uh, what was what was the thought overall uh, from a lot of players around the league playing in uh, mostly large NFL stadiums? Yeah, in the beginning, again, like that, you take that first night, um, or you take the, the, our opening night in LA um, at the Rose Bowl. You, know, you get sixty nine thousand people, and and they still left. They say ten thousand people outside the stadium didn't get in because they weren't prepared for the people showing up at the game. And you're thinking like, okay, these stadiums are going to work. I mean, we we have. We have certainly a, a, a way to look at this around the world. Not all the teams are Barcelona, or not all Real Madrid are playing these massive, massive stadiums. We knew eventually that we would have to build stadiums. That, that was something that had been said from day one. We didn't have the resources to do it. We didn't have the wherewithal to do it. We didn't have the infrastructure to do it. And we didn't have we didn't have stability in the league to do it. Um, and clearly, we've gotten to that 25 years down the road. Um, and, and, you know, we've been doing uh, these interviews with players from players and coaches and, and team admins from the really the 90s um, that have been part of this for 20, 25 years, just like everyone has over this this crazy period that we're living in right now. We've kind of been reliving the stories and everyone pretty much says the same thing. We got to year one. It was great. We got to year two. 
you were like, oh, this is this is nice. It's around. Then you got to year three and four, and we didn't really know um, if we were going to see year five. We didn't really know if we were going to see the next week. Um, you know, so it, there was there was so much that needed to be done. But the first thing I think needed to be done was the Columbus crew needed to put a shovel in the ground. And my old owner in Kansas City was also owning the team at the time, Lamar Hunt, because when Lamar Hunt puts the shovel in the ground and builds a stadium, regardless of what you think of that stadium today, um, when he puts that first shovel in the ground, you know he's not putting in the, in the ground thinking that the league is going to fold in a year. Um, so that was a really important step for us. So since you touched on that, we do have a listener question. Um from uh, one of our listeners at MetroFan96 on Twitter. He said, 2001 was a scary year with Lee contraction taking place. Was there ever a time when you thought MLS is not going to last, and how confident were you in the league? Well, we, we had heard, um, again, this is something we've, we've heard quite a bit of over the last couple of weeks in, in talking to people from that era, and we had heard in the locker room, um, and when business decisions get to the locker room level, <laughs> you know there's some truth to them, right? These aren't, these aren't rumors. Um, that we were going week to week. And at one point, Phil Anschutz, and it's someone that that everyone that supports the game today owes, owes a debt of gratitude to, owned six teams, I believe. Lamar Hunt owned three teams, and one team was owned by the league. Um, so we were being propped up in a way that we, we may never see again in any other sport um, anywhere ever. Um, and, and people would, the first thing you think of, oh, there's a huge conflict of interest when, an owner owns, uh, you know, three teams, and one owner owns six teams. There was no conflict of interest. This was two two gentlemen uh, that were willing to prop up an entire sport to get um, to get to where we are today. Were we worried? Yeah, of course you're worried. Um, you know, there would have been some guys that would have gone to Europe and probably would have found some some success there and found teams to play for. But I would have thought the majority, especially of American players. Um, probably wouldn't have found, found a place to play. Uh, and, you know, then you look at what it is today, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, hopefully those guys have a, an understanding of where the sport has come. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess kind of you just you kind of touched on it there right now. I mean, today the, you can watch almost any soccer league you want in the world on television. Uh, there, It's as accessible as ever it was. What was it like growing up in the era where – especially after the NASL collapsed uh, and, you know, soccer wasn't really on the, the mindset of Americans. Um, yeah. Look, I grew up in Kearney, as most people know, and we call it Soccer Town USA. And there's a documentary now about Soccer Town USA. I, I, I got to tell you, I was oblivious to the rest of the country um, because all I knew was coming from Soccer Town USA and Kearney to getting to the national team. That was really my progression. Um, of course, I had the University of Virginia, who was at that time the number one team in the country uh, that I played for. And, and so I, I, went from, I went from what I thought was normal soccer in, in my town where everybody comes out for a game. And we have a rival, uh, which is Harrison, which is now where the stadium is. Um, and we get 10,000 people for a high school game. And then I go to the top, the top program in the country, and uh, you know we're playing the big programs like Duke and Maryland, and we're getting four or five thousand people at college soccer games, and um, and then I go to the national team. So when you think about my progression now, 
around that that's not the way it is all around the country. But I kind of, now that I look back on it, I was almost in a little bit of a, a fantasy world uh, with regards to how I thought about the game and its growth in the country. And then when you finally get to the national team, um, you, now you're, you're yearning at that point to get to Europe and you're yearning to go play and play against the best players in the world. And Europe is different now than it was back then because there are opportunities in South America and Brazil and in, in, uh, in Argentina, um, not nearly as much at that point in Mexico. It started to grow a little bit after that. It wasn't a place that you wanted to go to right away. Um, but so the, the landscape was a little bit different and we were just lucky that, that this thing got off the ground in 1996 in order for us to, to play one and then hopefully help it grow. So you go from, we'll say, you know, playing in New Jersey, you play, uh, college and you play international and then you go to major league soccer with rules like countdown clocks and shootouts what was it like going for him playing kind of like the regular game to an americanized version of soccer with those kind of rules well we played the regular game and then we added a, a twist to it in the end and some people hated it and some people loved it i loved it i thought it was great remember i grew up with the cosmos this was part of the NASL. This is part of what um, I saw and thought was normal. It wasn't like we could watch European games on TV every week. Of course, we saw the World Cup. And of course, in 82 is where I got turned on to the game when Italy won the World Cup. And you guys know my heritage. And um, I was rooting for Italy, riding around town with an Italian flag on my bike when, when Dino's off and an Italian team pulled it off. And um, I, you know, it's, but we didn't get a lot of international soccer. We got Toby Charles. And I know there's someone out there listening right now who listened to Toby Charles on a Saturday afternoon. And we got two condensed uh, English games, you know, where they would do the, the, the entire game in 30 minutes, you know, and that's all we got. We got some German uh, football at, at some point as I was growing up, but, but, you know, my, my, my team, my league that I would sit down and think about in as short a period as it was in that time, it came at an important period for me. I was watching the NASL. I was watching that league. I was watching, that's what I knew. Um, and, and then of course you, you just tried every day to get as, at least I did. And my friends did, we tried to get as, as, as much soccer as we did. It wasn't until my friend, uh, Robert Arena, whose dad put one of those big 10-foot satellites, you know, those old satellite dishes, he put it in front of his house so we could get it. he could get his Juventus games. And because of that, he was a, his dad was a Juventus fan, and he used to drive us nuts. I became an AC Milan fan at that point, you know, because I wanted to root for someone that was the, the team playing against him. But that's how we digested our soccer, and, and I think we're really, really lucky right now in this country to have as much on TV you know, we have MLS on TV all the time. And now with ESPN2 and, and the local channels, um, you guys are on Madison Square Garden. And they're, with all of, you know, NYCFCs on the Yes Network, those things didn't exist back in the day. They, they were non-existent. We're really, really lucky. We get to watch more soccer in this country than – I was just listening to an English pundit today on a podcast, and I can't remember his name for the life of me. He said, I love coming to America because you guys can watch more soccer than any, anywhere in the world. Yeah, I go to Italy, um, and you go on a Sunday, and if you don't have if you don't have the pay channels, you can't watch the games in portions of the country. You can't watch La Liga. You watch the highlights. You watch all that stuff. The one thing you generally get is uh, is uh, Champions League when you're there. But some of these leagues are restricted even in their own country sometimes. So it's we're really really lucky here, um, and and you know this really helps with the growth of the sport for sure. 
Yeah, you never thought we'd get to a point where uh, networks are fighting over uh, what league they can broadcast, which is, I mean, you never would have thought of that 25 years ago, for sure. No, and everyone's like, oh, well, the you know the Bundesliga now is going to ESPN from Fox, and, and Fox had the Champions League, but now it's the TNT. And they're like, oh, I can't believe Fox lost this, or TNT got this, or TNT's going to lose it now to CBS. And I'm thinking of the conversation, just like you're saying, I'm like, man, this is great. <laughs> you know, this is this is like we we know we're going to have now. People make the argument that some stuff will be behind. And you can go through it. <laughs> Yeah, look, we were and all the had Alexi Wallace on our radio show. He confirmed the exact story that I tell all the time. Uh, we went to uh, the the building in Seacocks. I forget the name of it, but that's where the offices were for the Metro Stars. And Bora was there with Charlie Stilitano was the general manager there. Um, and they sat us down and they put us in a room to tell us, you know, we got to make some changes, uh, but we want to talk to everybody first. And we said, okay, no problem. Uh, they made us watch Rocky five and we sat in the room and we were literally <laughs> watching Rocky five as a team. This was Bora's idea. And mind you, I played for Bora in the 94 world cup. So this is 1999. Um, so I, you know, I'm there and I, I'm waiting for my meeting and they call my name and I walk in and Charlie says, listen, you're, you're one of the, the we, we need you here. You had a great first year. You're a New Jersey guy. Um, uh, you know, you've been great for three years here. And I'm like, oh, good. This is, this is going really good. I, he said, okay, you know, we'll let you know what the next steps are, when preseason is going to be and all that stuff. <clears throat> I get in the car and I'm driving home. I lived in Montclair at some time. So that's what, seven miles away, eight miles away. And I get in the car and I hear uh, Mike and the Mad Dog on one of those, uh, you know, the 20-minute updates. Um, traded Alexi Lalas and Tony Miola to Kansas City. And I literally just left the office 20 minutes ago. Oh, my God. And, and the first thing, I, I'm like in shock. I'm driving home on Route 3 and I'm in shock, complete and utter shock. So the first thing I do is I'm about to call my wife on the phone and the phone rings. And it's Alexi. He's like, did you hear we just got traded? I go, did they tell you you were going to get traded? He's like, no, they told me I was staying here. I go, they told me the same thing. I was staying here. So uh, me, I call my wife. I let her know. She's, she's a Jersey gal. We grew up in Carnegie together, went to high school. Um, you know, we just had our first kid. He'd been part of the organization. He was like there. He was in the stadium three days after he was born. I, you know, it's like, I can't believe this is happening. So I call Charlie. No answer. No answer. No answer. And I get a call from our old um, uh, team manager from the U.S. national team, Doug Newman, who is now the team manager for Kansas City. And he's like, hey, Tony, just want to let you know we made a trade for you. I'm like, Doug, I got to call you back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm not coming. Um, and uh, and that was it. I hung up the phone. And I finally, I, I finally got to Charlie. By the time I got home and my wife is upset and he said, you know what, Bora made a decision. We got a phone call from the time. I'm like, you made a deal in 20 minutes? Like we clearly couldn't have been that important to you. Um, I didn't talk to Charlie Stilitano for 10, 10 12 years. Uh, we, didn't, we were at events together. We never spoke. And a good friend of ours, uh, Frankie Campania, who Metro Stars fans would know from working with that group, for years said, you got to talk to Charlie. He didn't make the trade. It was Bora that made the trade. It was Bora. I said, nah, I don't really need to talk to him. 
And then one day I just, I walked over to him. I said, man, you know, can we talk? Just tell me how it happened. Like, why did you, it was funny enough. It turned out great for me. As you guys know, I love Kansas city. They were, they were awesome. The people are incredible. The organization, I played for Lamar hunt. I learned from Lamar hunt in the off season. Um, he would have me involved in going to ticket sale meetings, like all kinds of stuff I did that I probably would have never done in New York. Um, but that's how it went. Yeah, I found out in the car on the radio at 20 minutes after I was told I was staying there. And at that point, you had no, uh, you know, no uh, way of saying no. And then my first phone call from Ron Newman, who was the head coach, called me that night. I was sitting there on the speakerphone with my wife. And he says to me, um, also another story I tell all the time, he says to me, hey, lad, he goes, glad you're here. Welcome to the team. He goes, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have made the trade. But now you're a Kansas City Wizard. You're with us, you know. And I'm like, oh man, the coach didn't even know he made, didn't even want to make the trade, you know. Um, and then I got hurt that year, 1999, three days before the opener. I did my knee, and I didn't play until the last uh, eight games of the season. We finished in last place in 1999. Wow. But uh, so 2000 the was uh, pretty okay. <laughs> What's that? 2000 was pretty okay for you, though. 2000 went quite well. Yeah, I, I could tell you what, I was on a mission. Um, so I played in Kansas City in 99. Bob Ganser called me. And, and this, this story has been documented as well. Bob Ganser called me. I was fixing, uh, um, we just moved into a house and in the, in the basement of the house in Montclair it had a, an old bar. And I wanted to fix it up. And I was literally underneath the bar. And Bob Ganser calls me. He used to call me Anthony. You know, he said, Anthony, can we talk? He said, yeah. He said, what do you want to do this year? I said, coach, I really don't want to go back to Kansas City. I was living in an apartment by myself with Alexi. My wife was still in New Jersey, didn't want to move there. And he said, I got a proposition for you. And he said, give me one year and I'll trade you back the next year. Whatever it takes, I'll trade you back. Lamar Hunt said, it's okay. So I said, okay, you know what, coach? Just tell me what the plan is. And he told me we're getting Peter Vermes. We got this guy uh, from who's in Spain um, uh, that can score goals. It ended up being Nicolas Molnar. Um, he was bringing Kerry Zavagnin in, who was with the Metro Stars at that time, which I, I thought was was grossly underused in that group. So he, he started to tell me the plan. And Chris Henderson, you know, everyone that's coming in. So I was like, okay, I'll give you one year. Anyway, 2000 turns out the way that it does. And at the party, after the game in D.C., in the hotel with all the families, Lamar Hunt giving his speech and, you know, doing the trophy thing and everybody, all the families taking pictures and all that stuff, Bob Gensler pulls me over and he says, um, and Lamar Hunt is with us, and he says, look, we made a deal with you. <clears throat> We're going to trade you back. And uh, they were going to trade you back to New York. They said, we'll do whatever it takes, whatever money it takes, whatever player it takes. We're gonna, we've already worked it out. We're going to trade you back. And I looked at him and said, I don't want to go anywhere. I fell in love with Kansas City and what they built. Um, so I never came back uh, until Alexi called me one day while I was in the airport in L.A. and brought me back. That was years and years later. So, all right. Well, I, I had a question before that, but let's segue into really that moment because you were there when the Metro Stars became the New York Red Bulls. Uh, again, as a player, what was that like where a, a massive, massive corporation uh, takes over the team practically overnight, uniforms change overnight, I mean, surprise fans, 
no one can believe it actually happened. As a player, what was that like for you? Well, Mo Johnson was the coach, and he came in and he pulled myself and a couple other guys in um, in that group. Uh, Amado Guevara was in that group. Um, I think I think uh, Carlos Mendez, uh, Yuri Jorkaev was in that group. Um, anyway, there's a couple guys. He pulled five in and he said, I just want you guys to know, uh, you know, I don't want to ruin our preseason. I just want you guys to go, no, I got a phone call, and I think this 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 is happening, and it's crazy. And we were like, you know, what is it? So he explains to us that, that Red Bull is taking over, and no one had heard anything at that point. You know, this wasn't something, this wasn't rumored for a while. It's not like you see expansion teams now where they're rumored for a couple of weeks because someone leaked it. This came out of the blue. And we were like, no, nah, this can't be, and of course, me being a, a, you know the Jersey guy coming back to the Metro Stars, and I hadn't won anything with the Metro Stars, and that's who I wanted to. That was like my dream in MLS was to win something with the Metro Stars jersey on. Literally in one night, um, in in uh, we went to bed in preseason. The next day we woke up, all the stuff was Red Bull gear. Everything was changed. Apparently they took everything out of the stadium. We did one night at the stadium where we did an exchange with fans where everyone had their Red Bull jersey underneath, had the Metro Star shirt on top. We took the shirt off. There were select fans that were there to take your jersey, which is essentially the last jersey, last time you wore a Metro Star's jersey. And um, that was it. We were Red Bull from there. And I was the the first captain of that team um, ever. And uh, it was an odd kind of, you, you every day you kind of never knew what was going on. And one day, you walk in one of those cages underneath Giant Stadium where they, they have generally have like uh, trucks and stuff and like hot dog stands. And there's thousands of like cans of Red Bull <laughs> cases. Upon it. They're like, take as much as you want. You know, it's all, it's all you guys. You guys. <laughs> this had, happened all in one day. So you were there when the Red Bulls took over. Um, unfortunately, you were not there when Red Bull Arena opened, but that had been in the works before you uh, left the team, but since I know you weren't there, but what was your impression about Red Bull finally being able to open up a soccer-specific stadium in the, the Jersey area? Um, location aside, what do you think that means not only for the team but the league as a whole to have that footprint in the Tri-State area? Um, so I was there, and I, what was, that, was that 2010? Um, it was a 2010, 11, something like that, right? When it opened up, but I, but I was in the stadium, um, for that one. And I saw the first goal was the left footed player. They had, uh, Limpair. Was that his name? Yep. Limpair? Yep. Joel Limpair. Yeah. Okay. So I got it right. Um, so you, you, my memory's not so bad just, just yet. Um, I was in the stadium for that. I, I couldn't miss it as a, as a fan. I couldn't miss it. Um, and it was it was incredible. And what did it mean for the league? It meant that we had finally this European style stadium where you're really there to watch a game. That's your mission is to be there to watch a soccer game. All the bells and whistles you could throw out the window because this was this was what like Europe had, and this is this is what now going to be what's going to be the staple for the rest of the league. Um, and, and you guys know the story of how it's, it's grown since then. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I honestly, um, and of course this is the Homer and me talking, but I, I think there's maybe only th- three other stadiums that I think really compare right now. Um, Minnesota's I think looks fantastic. 
uh, Kansas City and uh, LAFC is, I think, really the only other teams I, I feel compares to Red Bull Arena. Um, yeah, those two are they, 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 those three. I'm sorry, are all really good teams. So I haven't seen a I've seen an, uh, the national team play in Minnesota. So I haven't seen a home game yet. Um, we were scheduled to go there, as you guys probably know. I'm doing the the television for the Chicago Fire. We were scheduled to go there um, this year, so I was looking forward to that. So I haven't seen a national team game there. Everyone says you have to um, see a, a Minnesota United game because it's different. But LAFC is incredible. Kansas City, I've been probably uh, a dozen times, and it never, ne- never, ever fails. Never fails you every time you go in there. Atlanta is really impressive, obviously, because of the size, and but it's, it's a you know, football stadium. Um, I, I, but, yeah, Red Bull Arena is right up there. I have not been to Audi Field, um, and I'm looking forward. I was supposed to go there this year as well. Now, Providence Park, I would throw in there as well. I would throw Providence oh, Park yeah. in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I won't mention yeah. Audi Field. I, I'm, I know it's DC and nothing, uh, definitely <laughs> nothing against DC United at all. Uh, uh, those seats are just way too high for the away fans. It's just too high. I can't, I can't walk that much. It's a lot of steps, a lot of steps in that place. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're, you'd know better than I, but, uh, but, but good on DC for putting you guys so far away, right? They did it. Oh right. yeah. Oh my God. All the way to the top. Yeah. Oh, so re- just real quick, I, we were talking about the stadiums. Um, what were your thoughts real quick just on the crew? Because they actually opened the first soccer-specific stadium in MLS. Um, I mean, you see what it is now. It doesn't really compare to new stadiums. But uh, was there a lot of hype? Was a lot of excitement bes- for getting that first soccer-specific stadium? Listen, w- without Crew Stadium, we don't have Red Bull Arena. We don't have Audi Field. We don't have Rio Tinto Stadium, which, by the way, is a really good place as well. Um, we don't have any of these places without, without Lamar Hunt putting the stake in the ground and saying, you know what, this league is here to stay. Uh, Lamar Hunt, as you guys know, was a really shrewd businessman. Clark Hunt, who now obviously just won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, was, was one of the guys. And Dan Hunt, um, who was down in Dallas, who at the time was running Dallas, but helping with Kansas City at that time, they weren't doing anything without everyone knowing. And if Lamar Hunt was the kind of guy, anyone who knows his his business acumen, knows his business uh, background, if he said this is a go, this is a go. And this kind of opened the door for everybody. Um, yeah, is it, does it look outdated now? Yeah, sure. Is, is it everything you need? No, you, you have all the essentials in there, but it doesn't have the bells and whistles of, of all the other stadiums, that's for sure. Oh yeah, so uh, Met- Metro Fan ninety six had um, multiple questions actually. So uh, one of them, which I kind of I guess goes along with the stadiums, kind of works is uh, when traveling to away games, who was the best and worst roommate you ever had or you ever stayed with, and why? Uh, oh boy, um, trying to think. Some of my roommates: Tim Howard, uh, Peter Vermes, Chris Henderson. These are longtime roommates. Um, Pete, Pete was great, and we always used to joke with Pete. You know, if you know Pete, he's intense all the time. You probably noticed that when you see him on sidelines. And we used to say all the time, Peter used to sleep on on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he'd sleep in the push up position, and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he'd sleep in the sit up position. Um, but he was really regimented. You knew exactly uh, what time you were getting up during the day. Um, I was I was a fan of the guys who didn't didn't go out. Uh, like I wasn't a guy that went out on the road. I didn't party. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I needed the Chris Henderson g- gave me something that has lasted with me forever. 
it, it was it started as a joke, um, and and now my kids who are are athletes, I say to this, I say this to them all the time. They crack up as they're walking out for a game, or we'll see them before a game. Chris used to stop. If you guys know, in a hotel, the bathroom is normally the closest thing to the door, and he'd pop himself in the bathroom and go, uh, "Don't get hurt." And don't make a fool of yourself. Like, we would joke all the time. Now, now, so I started like going in and going, "Don't get hurt. Don't make a fool of yourself." Now I, I've taken it all the way to my kids. They'll be walking out the door. Even, even something, they'll go outside and say, "I'm going to work out." I'll go, "Don't get hurt and don't make a fool of yourself." <laughs> so, Chris was great, man. What a what a pro. What a what a great great guy. Peter was incredible. Dominic Kinnear was probably, I I, I was Dominic Kinnear's roommate uh, with the national team from. The, the the first game after the 90 World Cup when he got to the team to the last game before he got cut before the um, before 1994. Um, but he was by far the funniest roommate anybody could ever ask for. Um, you know, and we used to bet both both our wives are named Colleen and we used to bet all the time because at that time they would call from the front desk and say Colleen's on the phone and then we would have a bet. Um, whose it was, you know, it would be five bucks, like, we, we, before we answered the phone. So we, he was the best roommate ever. He would tell you that I was the biggest snorer in the world. He tells it all the time, but he was, he was so much fun. Well, there, there you did have one former teammate lobbying for himself. Uh, Steve Jolly tweeted at us, uh, don't forget all those nice things I said about you when Red Bull rant asked your favorite. I'll tell you what, he was a great teammate. What a great teammate and what a great pro. He does radio, right, for, for Red Bull? Yes. Do I have that right still? You still do yep. it? Yeah. I've, I mean, I've heard him on our radio when I'm driving at night and they're, they're playing that telecast. I didn't know if he was still doing it this year, but what a great, great teammate he is, was. I, I know I know. a question coming up, but before you asked his, um, I, I want to ask you at least one more. I know we're under some very – you know, in serious situations right here with the league. I mean, it's not just with the league; it's everybody around this country, around the world, We're looking for the time when back and we can start playing some games again. Uh, what I want to know is, what are your thoughts now on the league? I mean, we're seeing like massive expansion uh, to cities you never thought. I mean, I don't think in a million years I would have thought Nashville would get a team. Um, Sacramento is looking to get a team. What are your thoughts of on that first day, 1996? You playing did you ever imagine major league soccer succeeding the way it is right now no again something that's been been up for discussion the entire uh you know off season here if you would have told me back then in 1996 that the league would have been going in 2020 i would have taken it um if you would have told me that it would look like this i would have told you that you're crazy um knowing what we had to go through and knowing uh, it, it's funny because when i think about uh, Charlotte and Sacramento and St. Louis coming into the league and uh, Nashville coming in this year uh, and seeing some of the teams uh, that, that, that have been around forever and they are fighting over charter flights. You know, we were fighting not to play two games in a weekend, those Friday, Saturday, uh, Sunday uh, fixtures uh, on the road, you know, now they're fighting over charter flights. So I, I laugh a little bit. I chuckle all the time. I'm like, Oh man, if these guys only know when I got off in Columbus and, the Metro Star staff made us wear those blue suits. The you got to have a picture of those, and we used to call them monkey suits because you were. Uh, they, that's what. That's the name we gave them. Uh, reasons every expansion team not to stop, and that's expansion fees. 
um, you know, we the, the the fear was always: is there enough players? Yeah, the world is filled with great players. Um, it, for me, the concern is always: how many of those spots do American kids get? And I think that will eventually work out. I'm I'm not for giving players for giving anyone anything on the field. You got to earn it. Uh, we just hope that they're they're cognizant of that uh, moving forward when they build these teams. So talking about expansion, um, the last easily the last five to ten years has seen probably the biggest boon in terms of leagues or sorry uh, teams being created not only in MLS but in the lower leagues as well. I mean, USL is now two complete divisions, and the number of teams is not going to stop growing. At what point does MLS have to? kind of stop expansion at the top level, right? Most leagues in the world kind of top out at 20. We're right now, I think, at we're going to be at like 24, 25 in the next few years. What is kind of the stopping point that makes sense? Like at some point it's not going to be tenable and have like 40 teams in one league, right? It just doesn't seem to make well, sense. You, yeah, you wouldn't have it in one league. I think for those who scream and yell about promotion relegation, I think that's when it, when it happens, right? When you have enough teams to have it sort of within MLS, um, you know, we're going to continue to see, I would think down the road, some USL teams that, that have big crowds like Sacramento, for example, you know, how they grew into the league, uh, Nashville for that matter, Orlando city, Portland, uh, Seattle, that we, you know, as soon as we get more of those types of cities, I don't think expansion stops here. I think it slows down here a little bit in order to get everyone, you know, sort of on the same page. Um, but I, I don't know what the number is, um, you know, two divisions, maybe that would be um, if you had two divisions, when you get to like 36 teams, then you're not playing everybody every single year. I mean, there's so many things to figure out, but with expansion team, which keep in mind, expansion fees are the biggest money maker for the league until we have a massive, massive TV deal. And the only way the TV deal gets bigger um, is by being in more markets uh, because then you can go, you know, years ago, think about the television deal that was done last time. I think we were in 14 markets the last time the TV deal was done. Right now you're, now you're, you're negotiating from a completely different uh, position, right? Now you're, you're in a whole, what are we at? What did you say? 24 teams, 20, we'll be at 27 team Austin coming in um, next year. Charlotte may come in next year. Right. So, you're you're now opening up television contract to more markets, which is obviously bigger negotiating power for you. Now we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. I uh, just want to touch upon it. Uh, with you know before everything shut down, players were just coming off preseason, probably weren't at ninety minutes uh, match fit yet. Uh, how are they going to get back into the swing of things uh, once we get back to some semblance of normalcy and games played? Um, yeah, we, I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, this guy, uh, this, this period of time, not being, uh, pushed every day by your teammates and trying to do it all on your own. This is like, this is the, the longest off season, as long as MLS off season is, uh, this, this extended it, uh, even further. And keep in mind that they went from, from really starting to climb the ladder with fitness to now having to slow that down. Um, I know there's home gyms now and all that stuff, and, and there's teams that have, de- have delivered bikes and treadmills to to uh, players' homes. 
Um, it's just not the same as being on the field right now. The, the players were probably feeling like after two or three weeks uh, of playing uh, scrimmages and then getting into the first two weeks of the season, they were all probably feeling like, oh, man, you know, I feel like I can get through 90 minutes right now. Uh, some teams uh, had uh, also CONCACAF Champions League to get through, so they may have had a, a fitness advantage, um, if you will, by the time the MLS season started. And now you kind of put the brakes on here. I, I can't imagine how they would how they would do it, and um, you know, how they're doing it now. Kudos to them uh, for the work that they got to put in. I, they all have a job to do, um, but it, it, it certainly this has made it as as much as you know not to put soccer in front of life, um, but from a soccer standpoint, this has made it really difficult on their job. Clearly. There's bigger issues uh, going on right now, but you know, yeah, the soccer, soccer answer. All right, and uh, just got one little fun little question to end this. Um, I was going through my box of old trading cards the other day, and I found a Tony Miola Sports Illustrated for Kids card. So we're talking a card that's probably 28 to 30 years old, uh, and has a little story on it in the back. I just want to ask. It's old. His soccer coach made him a goalie because Tony was fat and couldn't run fast. It, is that the true story? Is that what happened there? That's that's the true story. I gave him the story, so it can't be. It can't be <laughs> that was that was it. Um, yeah, look, I was the be- I, I, I was the biggest kid there. Um, I didn't look like I could run around, um, and thankfully, as I've said for years, thankfully I grew up instead of out, um, and was able to help my career. And, and uh, yeah, but it is a true story. Uh, he's passed away. Lenny Vanderham was was my first ever coach. Um, he's been he's been passed away for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I was friends with his granddaughter in high school, uh, as my wife is still friends with her. And um, I used to tell her all the time, you know, I wish your grandfather was around so I could thank him for being so insightful as to <laughs> where I needed to be on a soccer field. Little did uh, did he you know I was I at six years old. My dream was to be a center forward, but um, he squashed that for me. And, and but he made the right choice. Amazing. All right, so real quick before we let you go, I definitely want to let you plug Counterattack. Um, it's one of my favorite shows on Sirius XM FC. Okay. So plug away. <clears throat> yeah, Counterattack. We've been on since 2012. Uh, it's on every weekday starting at four o'clock um, on on Sirius XM FC 157. My- my, uh, my co-host, Brian Dunseth, who I've been with now for about three and a half years, I think, uh, was I started the show with John Harks and with Brian Dunseth. And we just try and I, I, we say to each other before every show, pretty much just have fun and keep it real. The idea of the show is two guys, uh, if you were to go hang out with your buddy and, and meet up at a bar and want to talk about soccer and the issues that are going on, that's, that's what we try to bring every day, just like you guys do. You keep it loose. Uh, you guys do a great job um, on your show. I listen to it all the time, and um, it's uh, you just look. The, the game is—it's the beautiful game. It's the fun game. It's the one we all love, and we want to—we just want to bring good. Time. And what I would suggest is, if you have Sirius XM, like I do, get the app because if you miss an episode, you go back and listen to old episodes. Uh, I listened to the one with Clint Mathis, who was my all-time oh my favorite. Gosh. Player. The favorite, and that was How just, was I mean, gangbusters. I mean, it's exactly the interview I expect from Clint Mathis. Um, so hilarious. I, I absolutely loved it. 
And by the way, uh, up until May 15th, you can stream SiriusXM for free right now during this uh, during this period of time. So any of your friends that don't have it, uh, at least until May 15th, you can go and get it and listen to that interview. And a loud sort of, uh, you know, type of guy. I mean, he opened up. Ray Hudson was unbelievable. I had some great guys on and. Um, they continue. We tape a bunch more coming up this week. So thanks so much for uh, allowing me to plug that. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, no. I, no joke. Definitely. I mean, it's one of my favorite shows for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Guys, Tony. I appreciate it, man. Good luck to uh, the, the uh, Red Bull this year. I will say, just to, to, I'm transparent, at the beginning of the year, um, when the roster came out, we were doing uh, teams that we thought may, may be in trouble this year. and, and I team would be in trouble. They've been pretty impressive for the first two games. Just go back to to our episodes. Stress us. Yeah, I went back on my predictions. Uh, I, I hope they prove me wrong because I want to I want to see them do well in that area as always. But um, so far, they, they've got uh, three points, two games. So that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four, well, points, so, right? four points, right? Four points. Four points, yeah. yeah. Well, Tony, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Um, listeners, you can v- visit us Red Bull Rant, uh, or sorry, on SoundCloud, Red Bull Rant, and email us RedBullRant at gmail.com. I'm not going to do the regular wrap-up stuff because you probably know this most of the stuff already. Thanks for the drill. Yeah, they know the drill. So, uh, Got for it. Pat, so for Pat Truman, Tony, and myself, this has been a special episode of the Red Bull Rant. Thank you for tuning in, and as always, go Red Bulls. Tony, say goodbye. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Good luck this season. <laughs> Alright, take care. Bye everybody. Alright guys, take care. You got it. Thanks, Tony. You got it guys, take care. Any-